everyone, and welcome back to this special training camp preview episode of the Today in Titletown Packers podcast. My name is Bron, and today we've got a very special guest, Packers writer, analyst, and host of the Pack-A-Day podcast, Andy Herman. How's it going, Andy? Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be talking some Packers with you. Uh, I've heard great things about the podcast, so I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate it. So let's start off with really the hottest topic of the summer in Green Bay, the backup quarterback situation. What does that look like with the announcement that all four preseason games are canceled, and and how does that impact Jordan Love's development? Yeah, I mean, I I certainly think it can't help things, right? So, you know, this is somebody who, you know, is probably going to need some time to pick up the offense. You know, he gets probably a little bit of an extended period with the playbook, um, which probably can't hurt. But, you know, so much of this offense and so much of just being a quarterback is trying to get in rhythm uh, with your wide receivers to, you know, kind of get to know the offense a little bit better, know the cadence, you know, get to know the huddle, like all, all the little things that go into playing quarterback, you know, outside of just learning the playbook. So, uh, I think it definitely puts him behind the eight ball uh, from, from a developmental standpoint, from a trying to win the number two quarterback standpoint. I fully believe that Tim Boyle will open the season as the number two quarterback simply for that reason. I think it's just a lot to put on a rookie quarterback's plate um, to go into week one of your rookie season and expect to know the offense when you haven't literally had a, a snap in the NFL uh, to try to practice that. So uh, I, I definitely think that it, it gives an advantage to Tim Boyle in that situation, having been in the offense, well, at least for, for one full season and having been a Packer for, for two full seasons. So uh, I think it puts, uh, I, I definitely think it puts Tim Boyle as a leg up in that competition. Yeah, I really agree with that. And another thing that this whole thing might impact is his timeline to become the starting quarterback, at least in, you know, the Packers front office size. Do you think this impacts that at all? Or, or is it just something that they're going to have to kind of move through and, and kind of keep getting him ready to go? I think it certainly could. I mean, a lot of that's up to Jordan. I mean, it, it depends on how good he is, right? If he's if he's great, he's probably going to be able to overcome some of that and, you know, probably even show some of that in, in practice. And, you know, maybe he does get a, a cup of tea uh, in the in the NFL this year, you know, maybe in, in some garbage time, maybe he's able to be elevated to the number two quarterback position later in the season and get some snaps. And maybe he's able to show what he's capable of. But uh, I'm 100% with you. I think it's going to make it much more difficult. Um, I think it's going to be much uh you know, harder for him unless he actually gets full NFL snaps. And like I said, I, I expect Boyle to be the two to start things off. So for him to get snaps, it probably means that something has gone very, very wrong, um, which is not obviously what we're hoping for. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely think it could affect that timeline, especially if they were looking at potentially doing something sooner rather than later. Uh, but, uh, you know, if this is something that they were always looking for, maybe a couple of years down the line, um, then maybe it doesn't affect him too much, but it certainly doesn't help. Right. And for Tim Boyle, I think this this almost secures his spot on the roster for me, at least, because uh, he was there last year as the number two. You know, he was great in the room, obviously, that quarterback room with Rodgers. He's obviously comfortable with the system. And uh, he's really the only other quarterback besides Aaron that has faced an NFL defense before. So that's going to be valuable to have. So it, I'm sure I'm sure that they're going to keep those three. Uh, Jordan Love, Tim Boyle, and obviously Aaron Rodgers. And, and that'll be a good group, uh, one of the deeper groups for Green Bay. Uh, and, and this is definitely a, a battle to watch, the Jordan Love versus Tim Boyle for the QB2 spot. But either way, I think they'll keep three quarterbacks on the roster. 
Yeah, 100% agree. I think they're, I, you know, I would put Tim Boyle down as a lock to make their roster. I just don't think, again, I don't think you can put that on Jordan Love week one to be the backup quarterback. I also don't think with the potential of, of positive COVID tests and things like that, that you can go with anything less than, you know, three quarterbacks going into this season. So I would absolutely expect them to keep three quarterbacks. Um, I also, you know, don't think it's out of the question that um, they would maybe even quarantine one of those quarterbacks. I don't think that it's out of the question that, um, you know, Jordan Love could spend a lot of time away from Aaron Rodgers and Tim Boyle if they determine that Tim Boyle is going to be the backup quarterback on game day so that if all of a sudden, you know, late in the week, you know, Jordan or excuse me, uh, Tim Boyle and Aaron Rodgers both get tested positive for COVID um, that you, you've had a, a player in Jordan Love that hasn't been near them, hasn't been by them and has been a little bit more quarantined from them. So hopefully you still have a quarterback that can go into the game and, you know, potentially go in and, and win you that game. So I think that depth is a real advantage when you look at all the intricacies and nuances of what this season is going to bring, but uh, fully 100 expect all three of those guys to be on the roster. And uh, like I said, I would put it as a lock that Tim Boyle makes it. That's, that's a really interesting point that really nobody has kind of brought that up. uh, The idea of, of putting players aside almost, so to speak, uh, to keep them healthy in the event that there's a, you know, like a team wide kind of breakout of the virus that's really interesting. I wonder if, if that's something teams will tend to do. Maybe they, maybe the number of players, you know, on the roster on the field on Sundays is, is shorter than, you know, a normal 46 players, you know, active and, and 53 on the team. Maybe that's something that they might look at. Yeah, it certainly could be. And, you know, I, I think for Jordan Love, you know, I, when a rookie quarterback comes in, you know, one of the things that was great for Aaron Rodgers and people have talked about it for so long is he obviously had the opportunity to sit behind Brett Favre. But the the bigger thing is for those few years, he really got to iron out his fundamentals. Of course, everyone remembers he had a, a wacky arm motion. He held the ball way up high, um, carried the ball a little bit weird. His footwork wasn't, uh, the, you know, the, the right way that it was supposed to be. And for a few years, you know, Mike McCarthy just drilled into him the way that this was supposed to be, the way the footwork was supposed to be, the way the arm angle was supposed to be all those sorts of things, you know, if you want to keep Jordan Love, you know, on the opposite practice field going against the defense, so he's not by Rodgers and Boyle, um, so you can kind of keep those separated, you know, there's enough that he can work on to try to work on straight up fundamentals as he and, and master that first before that, he, you know, he has to kind of take all the other nuances because, you know, once you start having to, to call the play in the huddle and make checks and do audibles and make sure that you're, uh, you know, the, the blitz is covered by the offensive line and then call the play, make sure everyone's set the right way, keep an eye on the time clock. And then, you know, take the snap. You've got an eight-man rush coming up in your face. You have to remember down and distance. Like by the time like all of that stuff happens, why you see players revert back to bad habits with their footwork and their fundamentals is because they don't have time to think all of all of that. So they're automatically going to go to what feels comfortable to them. So if you have a first season where you can really work on those fundamentals and maybe just drill that in his head, and then all of a sudden, you know, if something happens where, you know, Boyle and Rodgers can't play for whatever reason, you will, oh, by the way, the Packers still have a first round pick who can come in and play and hopefully pick up the pieces and maybe even win you a game if everything goes correctly. So I think it's just a really unique situation and Green Bay is oddly in a, in a good place from a depth standpoint uh, to be able to do some of those things. Yeah, that's one advantage that they really kind of attained by picking him in the first round in this draft. And and if there's any way to get him to really give himself the best chance to succeed in the NFL, specifically with the Green Bay Packers, uh, it, it's to get his fundamentals at the best possible level they can get. And, and giving him the chance to get that down before actually kind of 
like like all these young quarterbacks today are kind of just thrown into the fire, uh, giving him the best chance possible to get his fundamentals down gives him really a, a great chance to to do something great uh, and kind of use the obvious arm talent that he has and give him a good chance to be successful in this league. So that's definitely that's definitely key. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. All right, so we're going to kind of move on here position-wise to the running back group. Uh, this group of running backs really is – it's very deep. It's it's one of the deepest that they've assembled in a long time. What do you think is the biggest storyline at the position heading into camp? Well, I would have said going into a normal offseason – I would have said Jamal Williams' status would have been the most interesting aspect of this because um, I, I do think that you know he got bumped up to two million plus per season based on playing time incentives, um, and, and I think that you know when you br- you already have obviously kind of an alpha on Aaron Jones, you br- you bring in a second round pick that's a premium pick for a running back um, in AJ Dillon. Plus, you still have a six-round pick in Dexter Williams. You've got a gadget player slash punt returner in Tyler Irvin that, based on his return skills alone, I would expect him to kind of be on the team. Um, so I think you've got some some interesting pieces there. And, and even a player you know like Patrick Taylor, an undrafted guy, uh, is an interesting piece as well. So my thought would be, you know, if all of a sudden you go to a normal training camp and Dexter Williams or Patrick Taylor really show out and Dylan and Jones are who you expect them to be and Tyler Irvin's going to make it as your returner, you, do you really need a, a Jamal Williams on your roster? And I would expect Jamal Williams to have a trade value, even if it's something like a sixth or seventh round, you know, future selection, nothing exorbitant, but I would expect him to have some sort of trade value. And you're also probably not going to resign him going into next season. It would be my expectation. So I think when you, when you put all those pieces together in a normal off season, that, that would have been the storyline, but going back to how unique this off season is, I just think that depth for this season is going to, again, be a major factor. And I think you want the, 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 as much depth as possible on this team. And I know, um, you know, Matt LaFleur wanted the, the, the three running backs. He wanted to be a little bit more dynamic. He wanted some more uh, diversity within that backfield. Well, you've got it. So if you go and all of a sudden trade Jamal Williams, now maybe you don't have it quite as much. So I, I fully expect him still to be on the team, although I, I'm sort of keeping a, a half eye on that situation to see if something could change, especially if Williams or Taylor um, really develop into something. Um, but other than that, I, I, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to eventually kind of break down the carries between these running backs and, uh, you know, who gets put in in what situation. Right. I, I like what you said about Williams because his situation is, you know, with Dylan, the new draft pick, uh, you know, someone we interviewed on the show, he's very eager to come in and, and kind of disrupt things in that room, even though he's got two guys that have done it at a high level, you know, and I just think that if he comes out and, and plays like a second round pick early on and kind of does the things that Jamal Williams does, uh, which is, you know, pass block really well, he's a power runner, and obviously Jamal is, is great catching the ball out of the backfield. So if A.J. Dillon can kind of duplicate that success that, that Jamal has, you know, that's definitely something you're going to look towards. Like, you know, is Jamal Williams a guy that they could flip for a pick? Or, or something along the lines of that. But like you said, the depth is so important. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of young guys on that in that room that want to make a name for themselves. And, and Tyler Irvin is going to make it as the returner, of course. So uh, there is a lot of guys in that room. But how many backs do you see them actually keeping? 
I think they'll keep four. I do think they're going to go with, you know, obviously Williams, Dylan Jones. And then I do think Tyler Irvin makes it as well as a return specialist. And again, he can just do some interesting things within Matt LaFleur's offense. So I think he has enough versatility and dynamic ability that uh, they will keep him on the roster. And I, I think the, as of now, I think the rest of the running backs are on the outside looking in. Right. And I think what they'll do with some of those guys that they do like, like Taylor, you know, possibly bringing back Dexter Williams, if, if they think he's still got that talent. Uh, I think they might stash those guys on the practice squad, especially with the, the increased number to 16. Uh, I think that would be something that they'd look to do uh, just to not only keep them around, but bring them up if there's injuries or, or positive tests or whatever the case may be. But there is a lot of talent in that room, but I, I agree with you that they'd go and keep four guys because the talent is very top heavy at the positions and, and they can go four deep and be comfortable with the guys they've got. Yep. Yeah, no, nope, we're on the same page again. Yeah. All right. So again, we're going to move on to the next position. They The Packers refrained from adding a, a receiver in the draft, but but they brought in veteran Devin Funchess in free agency. Uh, he seems to be kind of flying under the radar among fans. He was signed by the Colts prior to last season, and and the staff in Indy seem to have really high hopes for him uh, to become a, become like a really high level receiver for them. Uh, but he did get injured in that first game of the year. Uh, but I feel like his his addition is a big one for Green Bay. Uh, what would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I, I think it's definitely a, a signing that's gone a little bit under the radar. You know, he's he's another one of those that's in an interesting situation because of this offseason. You know, ideally, you know, when you've basically missed an entire season due to injury, you know, that's one of those players that you want to be able to get in in some preseason games and really knock some rust off and make sure that, you know, you're, you're back to where you want to be. You kind of get the feel uh, of playing once again. And then, oh, by the way, he's also now in an entirely new offense. And, oh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers is generally fairly particular with his receivers and where he wants them to be and wants to, you know, have that full level of trust so that he knows if he's going to throw a pass with anticipation that, you know, Funchess is going to be where he expects him and things like that. So, you know, Rodgers is sometimes a little bit extra picky with new receivers and wanting them, again, to, to be on the same page. I think this hurts Funchess. Um, back when I interviewed uh, Tyler Merritt, the former uh, Titans and Badgers offensive lineman, I asked him point blank, what's the toughest position to learn in Matt LaFleur's offense? And he said wide receiver without hesitation. So I think, you know, for some of those reasons, this is a, a lack of an ideal situation for Devin Funches. Um, I still think he can come in and be a factor, but I think this might be one of those Jared Cook type signings where, you know, if you kind of remember back, it took Cook and Rogers a little while to, to get on the same page. That was a one year kind of minimum type signing, not minimum, but like, you know, uh, a team friendly signing. And uh, it, it took towards the end of the year before they finally got on the same page. I think you could see that same kind of thing happen with a Devin Funches. Yeah, I, I really agree with you there. He's a great player. He he showed what he could do in Carolina, and uh, I think his signing is gonna be is gonna be good, especially for the long term. Uh, this year's long term, later in the season, like you said. But uh, like we talked about, there's there's gonna be a lot of guys that are are talented in this room, and and there's a lot of talk about the third year expectations for Marquez Valdez Scanling and Equinemius Saint Brown. The front office seems to believe that those two will hit their stride, obviously, because they didn't draft anybody. Uh, EQ's coming off an injury. MVS is coming off a year where he kind of flashed that star talent early on, but but he fell out of favor in the second half of the season. So where do they fall within the Packers' depth chart? Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the really interesting storylines is how these wide receivers kind of shake out. You know, 
I think everyone knows that, you know, it would be great for Green Bay to have another, you know, number one slash number two type receiver to go with Devonta Adams, but depth at wide receiver is certainly not an issue with Alan Lazard, MBS, Funches, Kumaro, EQ, maybe even a Reggie Begleton. We'll see, you know, you can go seven deep at this wide receiver position um, and have players who could probably step on the field and be pretty solid wide receivers. Now we've also heard that, you know, th- there may be an idea that Matt LaFleur wants to go a little bit run heavy, maybe more two wide receiver sets, get more, maybe, you know, Josiah Deguera's maybe an H back type role, um, you know, maybe use more two tight end sets. And, and if that's the case, if now all of a sudden you've got Adams and, and one other receiver more often, you know, that's just going to limit those snaps for wide receivers even more. So how they kind of figure out the playing time for Lazard, who personally, I believe should probably start as the number two and they just went out and signed Devin Funches. You got to think that he's in the conversation for additional snaps as well. You know how that kind of shifts, you know, uh, snaps around for EQ and MBS, and maybe even a Jay Kumaro or Reggie Begleton. It, it's going to be it's going to be tight for you know trying to figure out who gets snaps when, and they, they may just go ultimately with the hot hand w- with MBS. You know, this is to me this is his prove it his his make or break moment because it, for two straight seasons he basically started heavily in the rotation, had the opportunity to make a major impact, never really could, had massive inconsistencies. And then by the end of each season, both with Mike McCarthy and with Matt LaFleur, basically ended up on the bench by the end of the season and falling out of favor. And, uh, you know, so I think this is really kind of his, you know, put up or shut up moment. And for Equinemius St. Brown, you know, he started to come on a little bit uh, in his rookie season, but, you know, certainly never hitting a full stride. I didn't think he showed out all that well in training camp and preseason a season ago prior to getting injured. Um, Then he misses the entire season. So I think this is a really massive uh, season for him as well. So they both have a lot of work to do, especially with the wide receivers that are on this roster. I kind of left Jake Kumaro for done um, just because I feel like we've seen Jake Kumaro and we know what he's capable of, but uh, two different people. Uh, and I'm trying, I know Tim Boyle was one of them. I think it was, oh, it was Alan Lazard was the other. Both listed them as their player on offense to keep an eye on this season that they think is ready to break out. So I'm like, all right, well, that kind of puts the kibosh on maybe that feeling if both of, both of them went out of their way to mention Kumaro as maybe a breakout candidate this season. So how all of that flushes out is, is to me, again, one of the key um, you know ingredients to keep an eye on this offseason and as really the season progresses. Wow, yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of interesting, you know, a lot of interesting pieces to this puzzle. And the, the interesting thing about that is all these great talented receivers – uh, but like you said, the emphasis might be more placed on two wide receiver sets as opposed to three that we saw with Mike McCarthy and a bit of what they did last year, kind of trying to keep Aaron more comfortable with some of the stuff he loves to do and he's good at. Uh, they might move t- toward more Matt LaFleur type offense with two wide receivers, uh, and, and that's going to make it harder for guys to get on the field, like you said. Uh, but really, this also kind of makes it difficult to figure out how many receivers they're actually going to keep. Do you think it's more likely that they keep five receivers or seven on the roster? Hmm. Um, I think it's more likely that they would keep seven. Um, but th- that's a really good question. So, uh, you know, injuries is going to play a major part here in, in what actually ends up happening from an injury standpoint and, and who's healthy and ready to start the season. Um, you know, and obviously if a Daryl Stewart, a Malik Taylor, a Darius Shepard, if one of those guys, you know, shows out and they feel like maybe they can get, you know, one of those guys back on the practice squad fairly easily, um, then maybe keeping five on the active roster would, you know, feel a little bit better. 
but that's basically releasing, you know, or putting on IR, you know, likely one of Reggie Begleton or two of Reggie Begleton, Jake Kumro and Marquez Valdez, or excuse me, uh, either, you know, MVS Kumro, Equinemius St. Brown or Reggie Begleton. Um, you know, two of those guys you would think would have to end up either on IR or off the team because I, I would expect Funchess, Lazard and Adams to make it. And if you're only keeping five, um, things tighten up pretty quick. So, yeah, I, I will say that I, I think it's more likely that they keep seven. Uh, but if I had to guess, I think a six is a very safe number. Yeah, I think six is probably what they'll go with. Uh, but like you said, if, if they they could go to seven very easily with Bagleton, a guy that played well in the CFL, had over a thousand yards there. Uh, if his game can translate to the NFL competition and, and, and he can make an impact, he's definitely a guy they'll take a flyer on just as a potential breakout candidate for sure. Uh, but let's move on to the tight end position, a bit more straightforward. Uh, the main man is second-year breakout candidate Jay Sternberger, a friend of the show. We had him on. Uh, and with him, it's veteran Mercedes Lewis and a versatile third-round draft pick, Josiah DeGuara, uh, and along with Robert Tanyan and others following. So what are the expectations for this group ahead of the season? Yeah, I think the big thing is is that improvement in Jay Sternberger and, and him taking the next step. I think he has all the ingredients to be a very successful tight end in the league. I think he can be, uh, for the first time in a while, somebody that can take uh, a little you know, three, four yard pass and actually turn it upfield and get yardage out of it, which is something that Green Bay has sorely been lacking. And really Green Bay needs some of those run after the catch type players to, to make something happen in the open field. We know Adams can do it, uh, but that, that playmaking in the open field, and obviously Aaron Jones can do it as well. But you know, you want to see some more playmaking in the open field from the Packers weapons. And I think Jay Sternberg has the ability to do that. He was also very impressive as a blocker. He has the absolute right mentality, came in, played some H back, played some fullback, you know, showed his versatility, just, just loved what he put on tape, even though that the numbers weren't there. And even though he played very sparingly, what I did see was something that's very translatable uh, to his future as a, a very good NFL tight end. So uh, I'm all in on Sternberger. I feel like he's going to absolutely be an improved player and somebody that's very integral to the success of this offense. Mercedes Lewis is what he is at this point. You know, he's going to be uh, a very good blocking tight end um, and they're going to use him as such, but he's not going to give you really next to anything as a receiving weapon. So you just kind of have to use them the right way. Um, I think this is uh, a really interesting season for Robert Tanya. And I think he's been a little bit stuck in no man's land. If you go back to when he first came on the Packers, you know, he was a former quarterback and then he transitioned to wide receiver in college. And then he got brought in as a, a tight end in the NFL and he was much lighter when he first came in and he looked more dynamic as a receiving threat. Well, that's great. But at that initial size, he didn't have the ability to hold up at the point of attack as a blocker. He puts on some weight and with that weight, I don't necessarily know that he's quite as dynamic as a receiver anymore. So I think they have to figure out something there to figure out the the perfect size, speed, strength for Robert Tanyan to have him be successful. Um, so I think this is a very important season for him. And then what Josiah Deguera can give you uh, as a H-back, a fullback, a tight end. Uh, again, that versatility is key. I love the idea of Sternberger and Deguera on the field at the same time because of that versatility. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's going to be a lot to throw at Deguera, you know, coming in and asking him to have some of that versatility in his first season. And again, it might be not till the end of the year that we start seeing maybe some of the return on investment there. Yeah, with Mercedes Lewis, I think, uh, you know, there might be a, an opportunity for him to kind of get more snaps in the passing game because without Jimmy Graham there, Jay Sturmer is going to take those number one, uh, n- number one passing reps. But uh, I, I do think there's going to be, I mean, he flashed, he made some nice plays in, in the passing game, obviously in very limited snaps, but I, I do think they can rely on him in some spots to kind of be that, 
you know, unexpected passing option on a play that looks like a run. Because obviously when he's in there, it's, it's most of the time he's going he's gonna to be a blocking guy. So if they kind of put him out there and, and he'll catch a few balls, but uh, do you think that he kind of gets a little bit more action in the passing game? Maybe, uh, you know, I think if there's a little bit more play action, you can maybe sneak him out a little bit more. I mean, and the issue with, with that is, you know, with Lewis, you have to manufacture for, but you know, he just doesn't have the ability to separate as a receiver anymore. He's also not going to be dynamic if you do get the ball in his hands. So you, you don't necessarily want to draw up too many plays for him unless you know, in the red zone, he can absolutely be a factor, especially in the end zone. I know, you know, they finally got big dog his touchdown last season. I definitely think that he could be somebody that's used a little bit more based on his size. But uh, yeah, I would I would expect them if they're going to be you know drawing up plays you know for the tight end position that it's going to be a little bit more Sternberger, maybe even Deguara, maybe even Tanyan. Um, but I think it, and if it's going to be Lewis, I think more of maybe you know like you said some of those surprise type plays just to kind of catch people off guard. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to the O line. It's a lot of returning faces, but uh, the main question is the right side of the offensive line. Uh, Bill Turner, Lane Taylor, and Rick, Rick Wagner are, are going to likely compete for those two right side spots. So who do you think is the odd man out at that start of the season? Yeah, I fully expect uh, Lane Taylor to be uh, a backup as the season begins. I expect him to be kind of the jack of all trades and kind of the first guy off the bench should something happen. Um, and You know, his ability, he's shown the ability to play tackle in a pinch. I think you could play it either left or right if needed. Um, you can play left guard, we know. I think you can step in at right guard as well. I think if there's a center injury, that'll go to Lucas Patrick. Um, or, you know, theoretically, they could move Jenkins into center and put Taylor at left guard if they wanted to, but uh, that will be the decision. But I fully, fully, fully expect that Billy Turner will be the starting right guard. And without question, uh, Rick Wagner will be the right starting right tackle. Okay, yeah, I, I agree with that. Just uh, just based on the continuity there and, and for, for Lane Taylor to be able to take a pay cut and and I think I think the pay cut assures his roster spot. Do you agree with that? Yes, I fully do. I, I think that that was so important for the for the Packers because he's a versatile guy, Lane Taylor, and and he does a lot of things really well. Uh, he's a power guy. He and he works really well. He's he's been in the offense for a long well, not this offense, but he's been with Aaron Rodgers for uh, for a long time and, and been with a lot of the guys next to him. So I think it's good to have some continuity there as a as a backup option. Uh, but but the question is, does he fill that backup tackle spot, that swing tackle spot that was manned by Jared Valdir at the end of last season? Uh, but with him not re-signing, that spot is kind of up for grabs. Does that go to Alex Light, Yosh Nijman, or, or does does Lane Taylor kind of surmise that role? Yeah, I think that's going to be you know uh, the offensive line's one A situation to try to figure out. Um, you know, I, I fully believe that going into last season they believe that Alex Light could be a competent swing tackle in the NFL. Um, had the opportunity to talk to a couple of people about that as well. And, and you could tell, you could tell in practice that uh, David Bakhtiari was almost taking Alex Light under his wing a little bit. They put a lot of time, effort and energy into it. And when he got on the field in those situations, he unfortunately just didn't live up to it. Personally, I believe he's more of a guard. I think he could actually play uh, well at guard. In fact, he did in his rookie season against the Jets late in the season. He got, I want to say about 20 snaps against the Jets, looked good at guard, has not looked good at tackle at all. Um, so I think it, it's going to be really tough for him to stick after what he put on tape a season ago as a swing tackle. 
I don't know that Yash Nijman is going to be ready to go yet. And again, if this is one of those classic examples of a player that's going to be hurt by this offseason and just not getting those reps that he sorely needed. Um, so, I, you know, I just think that, you know, the, the potential there is for Lane Taylor. Maybe Billy Turner could kick out um, as a tackle if absolutely needed. But I think you're going to see in some capacity, it's going to go Bakhtiari, Taylor, Lindsley, Turner, Wagner with Lane Taylor, the first off the bench and how they kind of shuffle the offensive line around um, in regards to that, depending on who goes out, we'll see. But I fully expect Taylor to be the first off the bench, Lucas Patrick to be kind of the second. And then I actually think that on game days, there's a really good chance that John Runyon will be that third guy, again, just based off of uh, flexibility and the ability to play multiple positions. You're right. They they did draft those three rookies as well to kind of, you know, fill some gaps in the in the back end of their offensive line depth and and obviously at, at the front of it you've got David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins really holding down that left side. Elton Jenkins, he's a budding star uh, in the NFL and then Corey Lindsley is the only guy really that would be a possible surprise cut if if you know if cap issues arise with with the whole, you know, the the cap thing that's going on that they might be decreased next year and, you know, whatever the case may be based on revenue. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, obviously that center and then the left side is, is pretty hold, held down really well. Uh, but the questions really remain at, at the right side. But I think they'll be comfortable with having Rick Wagner, a guy who's a veteran in the NFL, uh, playing right tackle. And then and then they'll stick with Bill Turner. Uh, he's an athletic guy, long, you know, wide, wide wingspan. I think they should be good there, you know, maybe not too much of a drop off as much as people expect uh, from Brian, Brian, Brian Bulaga, uh, but we'll see what happens. We've got a lot better depth than we have in recent years. So, uh, all right, but let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, obviously up front, it starts with Kenny Clark. He's, he's really locked it down in the middle, uh, but next to him, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Dean Lowry received an extension, so he'll stay next to Clark. But, but other than that, the side is definitely up for grabs. Uh, the team didn't address the D line much this off season, despite the run D being, uh, quite poor to end last season. How do you see that group shaping out? Yeah, well, uh, the Packers just released Gerald Willis, so there's one more name kind of crossed off the list. Uh, you know, I at this point, I don't know anyway how Clark, Lancaster, Lowry, and Kiki, you know, don't make the team. I think those four are locks. You know, if I would expect them maybe to go with five defensive linemen simply because, you know, both Rashawn Gary and Zadarius Smith are going to kick in inside some on passing downs anyway. I'm not sure that you need more than five, and I'm not sure that there's more than five people on the roster that are worthy of roster spots anyway. Um, so I think that really brings you down to your final uh, roster spot in either Montrevious Adams or Trayvon Hester, and I think those guys will battle it out. If both look great, I think you could keep six. Um, otherwise, I would expect you know them to keep either the the one that looks the best or look for them to maybe uh, make a, a transaction based off of you know who gets waived on fifty three man cutdowns uh, to try to maybe shore up that position a little bit. Uh, maybe even still bring in a veteran you know prior to camp if it's not shaping up. If if Lowry and Lancaster and Adams and, and Hester aren't cutting it, maybe Kiki's not making that jump. Uh, maybe they could still look to bring in a, a veteran player, but as of now, I would expect it to be five. And I think Hester has a little bit of an advantage over Adams as that fifth player, uh, to be totally honest. Yeah, I agree with you because for me, Montrevious Adams had a, a very disappointing season. We all know that. Mike Pettin kind of singled him out as the guy he thought really uh, was going to make a jump, and, and he thought he was going to really have a have big impact on the season last year. And, and, and when he was in the game, uh, it, it wasn't pretty. Uh, he, he was not great. He didn't live up to that expectations that they had. 
so, and like you said, Trayvon Hester's a veteran guy. Uh, he famously uh, tipped that uh, the field goal from Cody Parkey that double doinked uh, with the Eagles. He was he was uh, on the Eagles there. So, uh, I mean, he's got NFL experience. He's a guy that they could kind of plug in uh, and just you know let him go and 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 be a factor. So, Montrevious Adams, we'll have to see what they do in camp based on that competition between those two. Uh, but Montrevious Adams definitely has a lot of catching up to do with the uh, with coordinator Mike Pettin. Uh And Kingsley Kiki, like you said, I, I do think they expect him to kind of take a jump. They were excited about about being able to draft him. Uh, and, and he looks to have, you know, some great moves, not only in the pass rush, but in, in the run stuffing game. So I think he's definitely they're kind of hoping that he can kind of surmise one of the roles uh, in the kind of defensive tackle rotation, uh, defensive end rotation in that inside game. Yeah, no, they need a jump from Kiki. I think he's capable of doing it. I'm really excited about Kingsley Kiki. Really excited about last year's draft class uh, overall, um, him being a big part of that. And I, I fully expect him to take on a much bigger role. Um, he was one of the few people who actually had a few nice plays in that San Francisco NFC Championship game, um, even in limited playing time. So uh, I expect a, you know, a solid season out of him. I'm hoping for a big season out of him, uh, but uh, I expect him to make an impact one way or the other. This is going to be a defining year for that draft class for sure, and it starts with uh, Packers outside linebacker Rashawn Gary. Uh, he's entering his second year, and, and he's got a lot of uh, – obviously he's got all the tools, the athleticism, the speed, the quickness, the agility. You name it, he's got it. Uh, he was the number one college recruit uh, at the high school level, and, and he uh, just never really put it together at the college level statistically. He, you know, he had some sacks, not many. Uh, but, you know, he does disrupt the game, and that's why the Packers drafted him. Uh, he disrupts the passing game, and, and they really want to see him put it together, all those tools. They want to see him put it together on the field. Uh, but in front of him, uh, we've got obviously the Smith brothers who tore the league up last year. Uh, Zadarius Smith just became one of the league's top pass rushers along with Preston Smith, who uh, who led the sack. They, they kind of had a little competition between sacks back and forth. Preston kind of led it at the beginning, but Zadarius took it at the end, with, ended up with 13 and a half. Uh, but really the fourth outside linebacker spot is up for grabs. Who do you think takes it? Yeah, so, you know, Jonathan Garvin I like quite a bit, and I think he has that ability. I also like uh, Tipagalea, and I know I'm saying that name wrong, but I haven't mastered it yet, so bear with me until I do. I also think Tim Williams brings uh, a little bit something to the table as well. Um, I just think, you know, you look at – you look at a Zadarius Smith, a Preston Smith, a Rashawn Gary, they're all kind of the same profile, you know, big physical players. They can all win in a little bit different ways. They're all athletic. Don't get me wrong, but Tim Williams is that lanky, wiry, bend the edge kind of speed rusher. And I just think if all, if, if for a whole game, you've got these big Rashawn Gary, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith guys, just banging you and banging you and banging you and banging you. And you're kind of set, you know, guarding defenders the, the same way as an offensive tackle the entire game. And then all of a sudden you get in your step, and like you're expecting the, the the same kind of pacing to be there, and all of a sudden Tim Williams is just dipping and you know bending right around you with his speed and athleticism, you know th that appeals to me, and I think it's just a little bit of a different flavor than what they have. Um, but he hasn't exactly been able to stick around the league and, and really show what he was capable of. Is what some people thought was initially maybe a first round draft pick until he had some off the field issues that dropped him to I believe it was the third round. So uh, I. I would love to see him kind of step up and take that spot. I think 
if you look long term, I think Jonathan Garvin, um, had he stayed in school, I think he would have been, you know, closer to a, a fourth round pick, maybe even better uh, a season from now if had he continued to improve. Uh, he just has some raw talent that I'm really excited about. Um, so we'll see. I mean, honestly, your guess is kind of as good as mine here is who kind of steps up and takes that number four role. Um, but I, I will say this. I fully expect Rashawn Gary to play more than he did a season ago and try to give Preston and Zedarius a little bit more rest um, so that those guys are fresh as the season goes on. And, and especially late in the season, those guys played a ton of snaps a season ago uh, through 18 games. So I think actually probably for both of them, this extended off season was probably a very much a good thing. No preseason is probably very much a good thing. They probably could use all the rest that they could get from last year, but I think they're going to need Rashawn Gary at, at minimum to step up and take some some of those snaps so that those guys can stay fresh as the season goes on. Tim Williams, the former Raven with uh, Zadarius Smith, they played together a little bit. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Garvin, the University of Miami draft pick in the seventh round. And and uh, another guy to look out for, possibly a bit of a dark horse, Randy Ramsey, who was there uh, last season, kind of made some plays in the preseason, a couple sacks. Uh, he's another guy to watch out for. And that spot is certainly up for grabs. And that's going to be one of the more interesting battles because I don't see them keeping more than four with the top level talent that they have in those first three. Yeah, that it's always an interesting because edge rusher is so important where, um, you, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they kept five, especially if they were on the edge with no pun intended with uh, maybe a couple of these players, you know, between Garvin and Williams. I think Garvin has a lot of upside. I think Tipa does too. And I think Tim Williams does too. Even a guy like Jamal Davis has, has some interesting uh, talent as well. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they decided to keep five, especially because they kind of only have three, right? So we know they have three, but we don't exactly know anything beyond that. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they if they ended up keeping five just because maybe they want to develop a couple of those guys and maybe neither of them are fully ready to take on that number four spot. Right, right. Uh, at inside linebacker, Christian Kirksey will wear the headset, uh, but the depth behind him is a bit questionable. So who steps up? Oren Burke? <laughs> Uh, Ty Summers, Kamal Martin, and Curtis Bolton are the main names there. Yeah, let me ask you first. I, I'm curious your opinion because I, I, I think anyone listening to this, anyone, any expert, any prognosticator, I think we're all on the same exact page here because I, this could go any of a million different directions. So I'll let you go first and and see who you say first. Well, I'll tell you who it should be. It should be Oren Burks because I really coming out of the draft that the third round draft pick, I loved his. You know, he was a former safety, and, and he really excited me as a guy that could play next to Blake uh, and, and be a kind of an opposition, a little bit of a uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? A bit of a, a diversity uh, with Blake Martinez, really his strength going against the run uh, and uh, kind of having a guy that could play in the box a little bit who could thump in the run game but but still be able to cover tight ends out of the, out of the backfield and, and tight ends kind of in line in the slots. So – that's the guy that I think really needs to put it together. And this, like like a lot of players on this team, it's a make-or-break season for him. Uh, and those guys behind him, you know, Ty Summers is a guy that made some plays in the preseason and at other times missed tackles badly. Uh, and Kamal Martin looks like a great player, fifth-round draft pick. Uh, but th- really, to me, it should be Oren Burks, and I hope he can put it together. Yeah, here, here's kind of where I'm at with each one. So Oren Burks has been a little bit of – 
it, not a jack of all trades, but a master of none, but like he, he hasn't figured out his niche yet. So, you know, he obviously played edge safety and inside linebacker at Vandy, you know, ended his career at, at inside linebacker, played inside linebacker at the senior bowl, looked to maybe kind of find his, his spot there. You love the idea because, okay, maybe he could, you know, be, you know, bring some of that edge rush ability as a blitzer, as an inside linebacker. Maybe he could bring some of that coverage ability as a safety that he played, but to me, he hasn't been able to display any of it. You know, he hasn't been um, good in blitzing situations. He hasn't been good in coverage situations and he hasn't been good in rundown situations. So I, I just think he has to figure out, you know, what's his thing. This is inside linebacker can be a very specialized role. We've seen players like Raven green, make an impact at, at that line, you know, dime linebacker position. Josh Jones has played there. So, you know, I, you can get specialized with it. And I'm not sure that Oren Burks has figured out exactly what his thing is yet. And, and I, and I don't know that it's going to, be a three down linebacker until I see him at least do one of those three things. Well, so we'll see, you know, Curtis Bolton, the thing I love is he's got the instincts. And to me, you know, one a on my list when I'm looking at inside linebackers, when I'm scouting prospects is instincts. And that's something that burned me in the past. You know, I, I struggled in the past with players like Chris Borland, um, and players like that, and even Luke Keekley to an extent, um, and trying to figure out, I'm like, uh, Keekley's different because he was fan, he was awesome in college, but uh, I'm trying to think there's one other one, but Borland's a great example who, you know, I saw and I'm like, all right, I, I kind of get it, but I wasn't huge on him. And then I think either in the same draft class or one off was Stefan Anthony, a player from Clemson. And he just flew off the page to me. And he, here he is, he's flying to the football, he's making tackles, he's making interceptions, he's doing all these things. When I go back and watch it now, I see that, you know, Borland had all the instincts in the world. Anthony had none of them. You know, Borland was on his pace to being one of the, the best linebackers in the league. Anthony's basically flamed out and has been a bust as a first round draft choice. So those instincts are so important to me. And to me, Bolton has them. And I think he was in pay, on pace to potentially be a strong contributor prior to having an injury. So, but that being said, he's an undrafted guy who missed an entire season. So nothing would surprise me there. Summers, I loved how he played. I loved how he played. I know he missed some tackles. Yeah, he's gone on record of saying, you know what, that's not me. That's not going to happen again. If you kind of take him at his word and, and those missed tackles aren't a thing anymore, he becomes a really interesting player to me because he has the size, he has the speed, excuse me, the athleticism, and he has some of those instincts as well. So I'm excited to see him. And then, uh, you know, Kamal Martin, I like what he, I think he can do on early downs. I think he's a little bit more of somebody who can, can hang physically. I think he has some coverage skills. I want to see more. I think he's going to be more relegated to special teams this, this season, especially as a rookie, but man, pick a name out of a hat and I, none of it would surprise me. Right. I mean, that group is, it's, you know, obviously Christian Kirksey at the top, but then behind that, I'm not sure how many guys they'll keep. And, and there's a lot of young talent there, but you know, th there's a lot of questions and, and I guess we'll see what those answers are come training camp. Uh, but the Packers secondary, uh, we'll move on to, it, it's full of youth and star talent. Uh, you know, the room is led by the duo of Jair Alexander and Kevin King. Uh, no Tremont Williams. Uh, tr then likely the reason that they chose not to re-sign him as of now uh, is because Shannon Sullivan, uh, he turned a lot of heads last year, uh, and he'll try to win that slot corner job. Uh, but competing with him will be Josh Jackson. Uh, he'll batter for the battle for that as well. And Kadar Holman had some good reps last year. So uh, what's this group going to look like at the start of the season? Yeah. So this is one of my favorite groups on the team. And I think, you know, Jerry Gray is, is maybe going to hopefully be one of the biggest offseason acquisitions that the Packers had this season. You look at the secondary as a whole, and I know we're probably going to talk about safeties in a second, but I'm going to group them together here for just a moment. You know, you look at the talent and the, 
um, you know, the capital that the Packers have spent on this position. First round top 20 pick on Jair Alexander, top 25 pick on Darnell Savage, massive free agent deal to Adrian Amos. First pick in the in the draft for them, the, the early second round pick on Kevin King, second round pick on Josh Jackson, a sixth round pick on Kadar Hallman. And then you top that off with Chandon Sullivan, a player who played great a season ago, and even a Raven Green, who, when he's been able to stay healthy, has really made an impact on the field. And I think you have all the talent and every single tool that you would want out of a massively high performing secondary. And I think out of Alexander, we've seen flashes of pro bowl, maybe even all pro ability. Um, But we've also not seen that stay stay consistent game in and game out through the course of a season. I think this is the season that we want to see year three, him take that jump to being every down. He's the same Jair, every single play, he's going to be that lockdown guy because he can do it. And he has every, every talent and ability in the world uh, to be able to be that guy. So I think this has got to be that season for him. You know, King has every tool as well. He's long, he's talented, he's athletic. Um, we've seen him make great plays on the football. We know he can intercept and and be a playmaker as a defender. Now he's just got to put his full game together. Could not be more impressed with Chandon Sullivan, uh, what he did as a, uh, you know, a second year player, I think technically a season ago, uh, but in his first year as the Packers, Josh Jackson, again, a player who I don't think has always been put in his best position. He's been asked to play a lot of slot, which is probably his worst position. He even had to play some safety. I think if you can get him as an outside corner, I still think he, in, in zone situations, he can really do some damage and I'm hopefully can improve as a man-to-man guy. Have a ton of faith in Kadar Hallman and, and Raven Green. Savage, again, every ability you would want Want in the world um, just has to you know kind of clean up some of those angles and missed tackles that he had a season ago uh, that at times were costly and then Adrian Amos kind of just the glue guy that brings it all together just love 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 this secondary to me this should be one of the best secondaries in football and I, I think even the two of the undrafted players I think along with Tippa at, at outside linebacker I'm not so sure that Stanford Samuels and Will Sunderland aren't the two other best um, undrafted players that they signed so I'm really excited to see how this gels together. And oh, by the way, KB and Ento was a player who multiple times, multiple times caught my eye in training camp a season ago, making a transition from wide receiver to cornerback for the first time ever, comes in camp, intercepts multiple passes, was making plays on the football, is a leaper, can go up and make plays. And uh, he's somebody that I really want to see have a chance um, at some point as well, even if it's as that number six guy. I think he, I think he has some ability, so I'm excited about him too. Yeah, I mean that KB Onento is a guy that really caught my eye as well uh, last last uh, preseason and and the training camp. Uh, he was you know before his injury he was really playing well and uh, the, like like we just talked about there's so many guys that, uh, that I mean this secondary is as deep as it's been for Green Bay in a long time and and if if all these guys can put it together even just some of the guys can put it together Green Bay secondary is going to be elite. Uh, but the guy for me to watch, the name to watch in this group has to be Raven Green. He bulked up in a big way last offseason, struggled with injuries early on in the year, never got back on the field after that. But his versatility in the middle of the field could be such a valuable uh, you know, part of, of Mike Penton's defense in 2020. I feel like he's a guy that can really contribute and, 
and his impact can be felt right away if he can get on the field. So what do you think of him as a as not only in the safety game, but kind of more towards the box as well? What do you think of him? Yeah, I think he, that's just an ideal situation and an ideal spot for him. And uh, again, this is another one of those that, you know, this is a make or break season for him, not because of talent or ability, but uh, to me, just because he needs to stay on the field and stay healthy. Um, in both seasons, when he's got on the field, he's looked good. He's been a difference maker. He's been a starter. And uh, again, he just has to stay healthy. He's great on special teams. And this is a, this is a really... Um, undervalued key player for this defense. Their defense was better when Raven Green was in the lineup. I know it was only for a few games, but uh, maybe even less than that. Maybe just been the, I can't remember, first or second game, but um, I really like what Raven Green does and uh, have very high hopes for him if he can stay healthy for a full season. Right, right. Uh, and now we'll move on to uh, the final position group, uh, so to say. Uh, the Packers special teams unit is pretty much set in stone with obviously Mason Crosby kicking field goals, J.K. Scott punting the ball, uh, and Hunter Bradley snapping. Uh, but the, the storyline of this group is is that, you know, the hope is that we finally get a full year of Tyler Irvin uh, returning for the Packers to finally have some continuity there. Yeah, that, and I just want to see consistency out of J.K. Scott. You know, that that whole, uh, you know what, 2018 draft class, just looking for more consistency, whether it's Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Equinemius St. Brown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, J.K. Scott, even Hunter Bradley to an extent. Um, all of them in some capacity have, have shown some flashes, and obviously Jair more than that, but um, all of them could use a little bit more consistency, game in and game out, down in and down out. Um, you know, we can't have J.K. Scott having you know, a three or four week stretch where he's just not hitting the ball well, or, you know, hit three punts perfect. And then the fourth one's a, you know, 15 yard shank, you know, it's just got to be more consistent. I think that for special teams, that's the biggest one because he has all the ability to be one of the best punters in the league and really be a, a field changer and a game changer in that regards. I know all the, the memes early last year that JK Scott is a weapon. Well, it, it didn't exactly go that way. I'm hoping we can get back on that path. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's definitely got to be more consistent, especially in the kind of the colder weather. Uh, you know, at times he was shanking punts late. Uh, and, and really, the field position is so key, especially in these games where we're facing kind of NFC, you know, heavyweights. Uh, the field position battle is, is as important as anything in those games. So, all right, that's going to do it for uh, this Packers camp preview episode of, of the Today in Town Packers podcast. Make sure you check out the Pack-A-Day podcast and, and follow Andy on Twitter. Uh, at Andy Herman NFL. Andy, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Great talking to you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I do it anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Go Pack Go.